0: The Army and the industries that support it are meeting mostly in person this week. It's the annual confab put on by the Association of the U.S. Army. Many vendors exhibit and attend because, well, they hope to get contracts. Yet the whole Defense Department is struggling with a long-running and expensive project to build a new contract writing system. For the latest on this and other DOD developments, we turn to Federal News Network Scott Mosse and Jared Serbu speaking to me from the floor of the AUSA convention. And Jared, let's start with a story on contract writing since you are at AUSA and a lot of people hope to get contracts there. But the <laughs> Army and the other DOD units have to write contracts and this has been a really intractable problem for them for some time, hasn't it been?
1: It has really across the military services. The contract writing systems are old, they are fragmented, they do not talk to each other, so everyone sort of has their own different way of doing contracts, pulling from numerous different data sources, kind of Duct taping together various legacy systems to make the whole system work for the past ten years, DOD has really had an objective of de- deploying an enterprise-wide contract re- writing system, and it really hasn't gone anywhere. There, there has been an effort between the Army and the uh, excuse me, the Army and the Navy to at least adopt a, a shared. Uh, It's not exactly a shared system, but one that is based on the same underlying commercial software called Momentum, and there have been numerous problems um, with both the Army and the uh, Navy rollouts of those. In fact, as you might recall, a few months ago, our colleague Jason Miller reported the Navy had essentially issued a stop work order on that. So with all of that as background, what's new here today is the Joint uh, Artificial Intelligence Center within DOD thinks it might be able to solve all of this problem using AI. So it's uh, put out uh, via other transaction authorities authority mechanism, asked for industry to come in with some ideas for how to use AI algorithms to essentially interpret the FAR, read the FAR, and turn that into a contract, or possibly a big market research package, something that a contracting officer would ordinarily do. Starting small here, they're still in the early research phase of it, but they think they may be able to deliver some actual capability by as soon as next March, compared to the decade that DOD, as I said, has been working on this problem.
0: And the money they've spent has not been trivial either, $223 million in 10 years, so... It's a big financial problem also.
1: It is indeed, I mean, we are definitely talking typical big DOD enterprise system type spending. Who knows if the AI project is successful, what the ultimate price tag might be, but they do want to leverage commercial technologies as much as possible here. They are not spending a bunch of upfront money here. Jake does not have a ton of acquisition authority. I believe it's limited to $75 million a year starting in 2022, which is also a new thing for the Jake. But for now, they're just going to issue awards to, a. sort of a a cold down group of AI participants of $50,000 each to just build a prototype by that next March timeframe to show that at least the concept works. Not a fully functioning contract writing system, but at least prove out some of the initial concepts. But it is possible that if some of this stuff works, it could eventually grow into a full-fledged contract writing system because they are leveraging um, 2371-B, that OTA authority that DOD has that lets you, if you are doing the the prototype process competitively, move directly into a production phase with um, one of one of the original prototype participants without any further competition. So it, it could eventually take off.
0: Yeah, a little bit of irony there, using OTA to build a system for FAR contracts. For FAR-based contracts, right. All right. And Scott, uh, you have reported extensively on how the... DOD is getting in line with climate change, how it needs to change operations and investments on all of that. Give us the latest.
2: Right. Well, this is really a government-wide initiative. Last week, we saw these adaptation plans come out of 23 different agencies and departments, which prepares them for the world that is, which is one full of extreme weather and uh, wildfires and everything else you can think of, and also the world that will, t- will be coming. Uh, the United States is now looking at how it's going to mitigate those sorts of issues and uh, what it's trying to do and what the white house will do is come out with an executive order on the types of reductions into uh, climate admissions that the government needs to do that includes the defense department uh, obviously national security is going to be prioritized when it comes to reducing emissions but the defense department wants to get to zero emissions by 2050 it believes it can do that Right now is the 55th largest producer of emissions and pollution within the United States. I'm sorry, within the world. Another thing to keep in mind is that DOD has to work with its contractors and has to work within its budgets to do this. Uh, So that means it's going to ask for transparency already within these adaptation plans uh, from contractors about their emissions. And it may be asking some sort of requirements from them in the future when it comes to contracts. Now, they haven't said that explicitly yet, but that is something that could be a possibility. One other thing I wanted to mention is that DOD wants to make sure that their bases are energy independent in the future. So that means they can run by themselves for 14 days without any sort of larger grid. So they'll be working on these microgrids that may use fossil fuels, but will also rely on things like solar and wind power.
0: And the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin recently said that there is a big cost to the department for issues related to climate change or extreme weather, so they have a financial interest in trying to save money here too, don't they?
2: Certainly, billions and billions of dollars. If you remember, only a couple years ago, Hurricane Michael tore through Florida and completely destroyed Air Force Base Tyndall. Uh, that's just one of the many issues that they deal with. Uh, sea level rise, wildfires, and even operational issues are all things that the Defense Department has taken to account and paid for, really through the teeth in some, some situations.
0: All right. And Scott, also, you are reporting on a new Congressional Budget Office report that seems to be something that uh, folks that are dovish on military spending have seized on. And uh, tell us what that report says and what it prescribes for, for DOD spending priorities.
2: Right. Well, many lawmakers at this point have talked about how the national defense strategy might be a little too ambitious. It really asks for the Defense Department to have three to five percent increase in budget every year into perpetuity until they decide to change their uh, strategy. What this uh, budget option does is it reduces the defense budget by 14 percent or a trillion dollars over 10 years. And that is assuming that the Defense Department will spend about $7.3 trillion over the next 10 years. Uh, so there's three different options that the Congressional Budget Office laid out here. One is proportional reduction. It really would take the Defense Department back to an older strategy that's more Cold War focused, focusing mostly on the near-peer competitors like China and Russia. Uh, And that would just kind of take down a little bit of everything from from each of the branches. Another one is a more uh, alliance-focused one. Once again, going back to that Cold War idea, it would focus mostly on naval and marine capabilities. So the Air Force would focus more on doing sort of long bombers, that kind of stuff, and less on its fighter capabilities. And then the, the army would also uh, go down a bit as well. Finally, the, the last one makes the United States more of an economic powerhouse, enforcing these kind of sanctions, really owning the trade ways and those sorts of things, and then making alliances an actual coalition type thing. Instead of having the United States be the complete leader, uh, it would be more of a, a, a partner in, in uh, deterring these larger uh, powers. Uh, all those are, are possible ways that they can bring down this trillion dollars and, and really. What other people want to do is reinvest this into more domestic issues. And uh, it's been getting a lot of uh, you know interest from you know as you would imagine, some government watchdog groups and some of the, as you said, more dovish lawmakers in the uh, Congress
0: and do we know who commissioned that study from CBO?
2: Yeah, it actually came from the Senate Budget Committee, whose chairman is uh, Bernie Sanders and one of the more uh, Dove-like uh, Congress people in the in Congress. Uh, one of the things that he did offer as an amendment uh, a year ago into the NDAA was a 10% reduction within the Defense Department and then using that money for things like schools, uh, other facilities within a, a domestic issue. So something that he definitely uh, has his heart set on.
0: All right, Federal News Network Scott Massioni and Jared Serbu, thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Be sure to check out their DOD Reporter's Notebook and their AUSA coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely.
1: Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away,